Well, good morning, church family. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I am, I'm overwhelmed this morning in more ways than one. What a joy it is that we get to worship together in spirit and in truth. I have to say, Corey, it was a blessing for me wherever you're seating. I don't know where you're seated, man. Oh, he's behind me. Okay. Uh, Corey, it was a blessing to be able to be a part of the congregation this morning. And uh, church, what a beautiful sound y'all make singing to our God in praise. I am thankful to y'all, my church, for this September will be five years that I've been here. And um, that's, that's crazy. Um, and y'all have born with a young man's many mistakes and sometimes a young man's arrogance. And I am thankful for y'all's grace and patience and encouragement. And I am excited for this morning. Now I'm a worship pastor, so I'm gonna go on a tiny worship rant this morning. Sorry, you ready? Ready? Too often we make this distinction between our time in congregational song, our time of singing and the preaching of the word. We think, oh, We've stopped singing, therefore worship has stopped. Let me encourage all of us today with this beautiful truth. One of the most wonderful acts that we have as believers in worship, one of the most beautiful acts of worship we have is to deny ourselves and to attentively set our mind, heart, and soul upon the teaching and preaching of his word. So church family, as we continue in worship through the preaching of the word, let us remind ourselves of the posture that we should have any time we approach God's word, whether it's in personal study, whether it's in growth groups, or whether when it's time to hear the preaching of the word. If you hear nothing else today, hear these words. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. and Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways know him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Let's pray together, church family. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are thankful that we get to worship you through song, through prayer, through confession, through study, through fellowship, and Lord, through the preaching of your word. Lord, I am an unfit vessel to be able to preach your word, but I thank you for this privilege. Lord, for me and for everyone in this room, would you teach us to rely completely upon your spirit? Lord, would you teach us to completely trust your word? Would you teach us, Lord, to trust you with all our hearts, to not rely on our own understanding? Lord, be thou our wisdom and our true word. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It is in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. All righty, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 will be in verses 1 through 7 today. And as you're going there, let's just do a quick recap, a quick review of the last two chapters, if you haven't been here with us. So Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. He spoke and it existed, and it was good. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter 2, we got to zoom in on the sixth day of creation, where God made Adam and Eve and all the beasts of the ground therein. 
And we got to see how God made us humanity with a purpose. That very purpose is to glorify and enjoy God amidst his creation, to steward his creation. And this morning in Genesis chapter three, we get to see how we messed that up. (laughs) So let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter three, verses one through seven. Hear the word of God, Genesis chapter three. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will surely die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. It was delightful to look at and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruits and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And the both of the eyes of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Can I just say for a moment, <laughs> this isn't one of the main points by any means, but can I just say that if you're maybe going out to your car you're just hanging out in your backyard and a snake begins to approach you and not only a snake but a talking snake comes up to you and says yo let's talk about theology may i encourage you to implore what i affectionately call the donnie kreitz method of handling that snake and i think y'all know what i mean by that by that i mean put a bullet in that snake's head (laughs) oh goodness In in all seriousness, Adam and Eve had one job, to glorify God, to steward the creation that he had made, to enjoy him. And yet, just like we still often do today, they fell into temptation and sin. Whenever I was studying this passage in preparation for this morning, I kept coming back to these three questions. And these are the questions I hope to answer this morning that we'll get to answer together. How does the serpent tempt us to sin? How do we tempt ourselves to sin? And how do we overcome our sinful nature? Let us look to God's word for the answers. So the first question, how does the serpent tempt us to sin? Number one, he tempts us to doubt God's word. He tempts us to doubt God's word. Look at verse one. He said to the woman, did God really say did god really say see the devil is a very smart creature outside of god himself the devil is probably the best strategist best tactician best demolition expert there is you see the devil knows that there's no better way to demolish a home than to make sure that house can never be built again by destroying its very foundation did god really say. For if God's word isn't true, then what purpose does a human have? If God's word isn't true, why wouldn't a human live for themselves? Why wouldn't they live a selfish lifestyle? If God's word isn't true, what purpose is there in this life? 
Perhaps there's no purpose at all. You see, the devil knows there's no better way to destroy a believer than to plant seeds of doubt and disbelief in their hearts. Oh, believer, this morning, do you doubt today? Do you doubt the word of God? If so, I encourage you, do not let those doubts fester. Take them to the Lord. Cry out like the father in Mark chapter nine, when his son was possessed by a demon, he ran to Jesus. He said, Jesus, heal my son. And Jesus said, there is much possible for those who believe. And he said, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Imagine the trouble Adam and Eve could have gone out of when they were questioned by the serpent, when he said, did God really say if Adam and Eve, instead of trying to dialogue with the serpent, they ran to God who could wipe away all doubts and concerns? And not only that, what if Adam and Eve, you know, relied on one another? Adam was right there. I don't know what he was doing there. He was just chilling, leaning against the tree, who knows? But what if when the devil questioned Eve, she turned to her husband? Did God really say that? Because Adam received direct command from the Lord. What if Adam had intervened and pointed Eve to the one, to God, who could wipe away all doubts and fears? To the one who doubts this morning, I encourage you, I implore to you, reach out to a fellow brother and sister in Christ. We do faith together. We can help each other with our doubts, wrestle with our doubts. Reach out to us on staff. Do not let those doubts fester. For if your doubt continues to fester like a thorny weed, if left alone, like all sin, it will eventually lead to the devil's desire. It will eventually lead to your destruction. Doubt will inevitably lead you to deny God's word. And that is the second way the devil tempts us. He tempts us to deny God's word. Look at verse four. After Eve told the devil how the inaccurate command of God, this is how the devil replied, no, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. The devil blatantly contradicted the warning and command from God. You see, the devil is the one who whispers to the believer's heart, you won't die. God is simply a liar. What harm could this bring? Denial of the word is the fruition of doubt. It is doubt's end. To doubt is one thing, but to deny God's word is the complete abandonment of all truth, is to look at God with contempt. How many of you have seen the movie Finding Nemo? Some of y'all, okay, in case you have not seen the movie Finding Nemo, um, it is a tragic but fun story. It is the story of a clownfish named Marlin. He and his wife have many fish, children, eggs by the great, on the edge of the Great Barrier Reef. And unfortunately, Marlin loses his wife and all but one child, a child that he names Nemo, at the edge of the Great Barrier Reefs. Many years go by and their son Nemo's growing up and his son Nemo gets to go to school. So Nemo joins a school of fish. Hey, get it? School of fish. That's good. I, I, I love that. Um, so Nemo joins a school of fish and his teacher takes him along the Great Barrier Reef teaching about the fellow fish and organisms there. But the teacher takes him to the edge of the reef. And when Marlin finds out, he's understandably perturbed. It's at the edge of the reef where he lost his family, where he lost his wife. So he runs to the edge of the reef. He tells Nemo, Nemo, come home. It is not safe here. You should not be here. And what does Nemo do? He begins to swim out past the edge of the reef. 
And then they see a boat that's further out past the reef. He starts going to the boat and Marlin cries out to Nemo, Nemo, come home. It's not safe. Do not touch the boat. And what does Nemo do? Nemo angrily looks at his father with contempt, touches the boat. And shortly thereafter, a couple of divers capture Nemo, thus propelling the rest of the story of finding Nemo. Now, that's not a perfect analogy, but we often do this with our Heavenly Father. God warns us of sin. He says, please do not do that. It is dangerous. And we look at God with contempt and we do exactly what he told us not to. We deny his word for either we don't believe his intentions or we believe a serpent when the serpent tells us, no, you will surely not die. Church family, this should not be so. Let us not be deniers of the word. Let us hold fast to God's word, which is altogether righteous. Third, the serpent tempts us to make gods of ourselves. The serpent tempts us to make gods of ourselves. Look at verse five. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And you will be like God. Certainly a tempting offer. And it's actually a deep irony that this is how the devil tempts us. For we, as God's image bearers, we were created to reflect God. We were created to reflect his glory and glory and to be like him. So of course, the devil would want to pervert our very purpose in this life. We were made to reflect God's glory and steward what is around us. The problem is when we try to make ourselves God rather than glorifying the one who is God, we look less like God and we look more like the serpent. When we try to be God ourselves, it means that I am the ruler of my own life. I will do what I want. I will seek out my own agenda. And when you are the God of your own life, when you are like the serpent, you become more cunning. You become more deceitful. You become more manipulative. You often tempt others into sin. Church family, this should not be so. We were not created to be gods. We were created to be his image bearers, to give God glory, to steward what he has given us around us. So I encourage you, humble yourselves. Do not be wise in your own eyes. But it's not only the serpent that tempts us in this way. We often tempt ourselves into sin. And we can see in this passage, Adam and Eve did as well. So how do we tempt ourselves to sin? Number one, we tempt ourselves when we do not know God's word. We tempt ourselves when we don't know God's word. Look at verses two and three. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. About the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Now, wait a minute. Is that what God said? <laughs> I don't think so. Let's real quick, go back to chapter two. Chapter two, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat it from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. How did she get that wrong? She got the first part right. Do not eat of the fruit. But where did she hear not to touch it? 
Now, there's nothing concrete in the text by any means to suggest how she got that, but more than likely, Adam as her husband was to tell her the command of the Lord, to pass on that teaching to her that he had received from God. Maybe Adam added some more instruction just to be extra careful. And to all my teachers, growth group leaders, pastors, I warn you, and we can see in scripture and you can see throughout Christian history, whenever we add to God's word, it never ends well. In fact, I believe at the very end of Revelation, there is a curse upon the one who adds or takes away from God's word. Whatever the case may be, Eve did not know God's word properly. We studied in growth groups two weeks ago, Psalm 19, and how David, the psalmist, how he exclaimed in verse seven, Lord, your servant is warned of sin by your word. You know, uh, just, just last year, the American Bible Society did a survey of Americans in Bible reading. And they found of the 330 million Americans, about 70% own Bibles. That's awesome. Praise God for that. Of that percentage, only 34% of people have read their Bibles at least four times a year. Only four times. So you got Easter, you got Christmas, maybe Lent. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but they only read their Bibles four times. 34% of Americans read their Bibles at least four times. And only 10% of all Americans reported reading their Bibles, studying God's word daily. 10% is about 30 million people. That's roughly the population of Texas. If you don't know God's word, it's going to be a lot harder to resist sin and temptation. Church family, actually back in another statistic, back in 2019, Lifeway did a, they did some research on Protestant church goers. So we're Southern Baptist church, we're Protestant. They did a survey on Protestant church goers about daily Bible reading in the church. And they found that of all these people who, these are people who actively go each week. They found only about 32% of active churchgoers regularly spend time in God's word. That was 2019. I, I can only imagine what it is today in 2023. Church, again, if you do not know God's word, it is gonna be difficult and hard to resist temptation. If you go and read about when Jesus was tempted in the desert in Matthew chapter four, do you know how he rebuked sin and temptation? With God's word. O oh, believer, O oh, church, we belong to a denomination that claims to be people of the book. May that self-ascribed title not be in vain. Know the word so you may avoid sin and temptation. Here's another way that we tempt ourselves. We tempt ourselves when we are discontent with what God has given us. Look at the first part of verse six. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. She was in a garden, a garden. She had every fruit plant imaginable to eat. And yet she only had eyes for the tree that was in the center of the garden. How like us is that? Now, this is something I'm incredibly guilty of. And I know definitely none of you have ever done this, but it's lunchtime, I'm hungry, I go home, I leave my office, go home to go to church, and I open the refrigerator, and maybe there's some leftover, like hamburger helper, maybe leftover lasagna, you, you name it, and tons of ingredients. And I look in there and I go, 
man, there's nothing to eat. No. How often do we do that? How often do we do that? And then maybe you look at the fridge, you go, man, there's nothing to eat. Oh, I don't know, I'll go to get some God's chicken at Chick-fil-A. Oh, wait, it's Sunday. Man, we do this all the time in a number of different ways. God had blessed Eve with so much, Adam and Eve with so much around them, but she only had eyes for what she shouldn't have. My fellow brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, be content with what God has given you, whatever that may be. The world, the devil, and your own sinful nature will tell you what you have is not enough. Let us be a people who know, believe, and proclaim the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Third, we tempt ourselves to lust with the eyes. We tempt ourselves to lust with the eyes. We often think of lust in only sexual terms, and that is the primary use in scripture. But lust, to lust with the eyes is to look at something with desire. It is to be dazzled by something beautiful. Look at verse six again. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. It was delightful to look at. Think about that for a second. Just as she was surrounded by food, she was also surrounded by the splendor of untainted creation. Everything in that garden would have been delightful to look at. Everything around them would have been beautiful, but she only had eyes for the tree in the center of the garden. Discontentment moved to obsession. A mere want moved to a seeming need. She was captivated by the beauty of creation, but forgetting about the wonder that is the one who created it. She forgot about the one who made all that beauty. Humanity does this all the time. We see something beautiful and we fixate on it desire for it, obsess over it. We often make gods over beautiful things. The ancients and some religions today, they worship the sun, the moon, the earth, the stars, and the wild beasts. They bow down before these things as if those things can give them life. And not merely 150 years ago, people would look at kings and queens and some would not even dare look at kings and queens, the common people to think that it's presumptuous to look at them. They revered them as demigods. And today, we revere actors, singers, actresses, athletes, and we hang posters on our ceilings and on our walls, and we put them as our phone screens or as our computer screens. That way, when the first thing we see when we wake up is something beautiful or well-sculpted. Oh, believer, I encourage you, do not be so easily dazzled by beautiful things or beautiful people. For a while you distract yourself with something delightful to look at, sin is crouching at the door waiting to devour you. There are a lot of amazing and wonderful things in people and, and God's creation, but may those things not point you to look at creation itself, but instead to look up at the creator, to be in awe of him. Or in other words, in the words of that wonderful, wonderful hymn, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Fourth, we tempt 
ourselves to be wise in our own eyes. We tempt ourselves to be wise in our own eyes. Verse six again, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. The pursuit of knowledge, just disclaimer before I go on any further, the pursuit of knowledge is a noble and good pursuit. We should desire to learn and to be students of the world around us, everything that God had made. But all that knowledge is in vain if it's only for yourself. That knowledge is in vain if it is not to further glorify God. Adam and Eve sought to become wise on their own. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. What does it mean to be wise in your own eyes? To be wise in your own eyes is to say that you know better than everyone else, including God himself. To be wise in your own eyes is to say that you are the decider of what's best for your life and perhaps for the lives of those around you. To be wise in your own eyes is just like the serpent's temptation. It is to make yourself God. When we think ourselves wise in our own eyes, we think, why do I need God? I know what's best. Why would I need his provision? I know what I need. You know, let's, let's look around at our world for a second and just see the truth of that temptation around us. You see, when we were banished from the Garden of Eden, in our wisdom, we saw fit to make a garden for ourselves. We saw fit to create our own garden. But instead of a lush, pure garden of every fruit that we could possibly need, we made a garden for ourselves of everything we could possibly want. Let's explore this garden. In our wisdom, we planted trees of pleasure, bearing fruits of many kinds. Do you hunger for sex or lustful passions? This tree is now available 24-7, and its branches are so low that even a child can eat from it. Its fruit is savory, but with every bite, you only find yourself all the more hungry and your appetite the crazier and wilder. Being wise in our own eyes, in our false garden, we planted trees of want. And whenever you eat of this tree, you see 40 to 20 to 40 second loops of images of all the things you don't have, of large houses, sparkling cars, and every kind of thing you don't have, but you want. But the more you eat of it, the more you despair at your meager portion in life. In the center of our garden that we have made in our own wisdom, just like the Garden of Eden, the center of our garden is a center of a tree of knowledge. But as a twist, Whenever we eat of this tree, you never know whether you're going to eat something true or something that is a lie. But I think regardless of that, the more you eat of it, the more you think, I know what's best. I have to, I'm going to direct my attention to a specific group of people here. Pastor, Nathan, to our interns, to any and all who have the call to vocational ministry, too many have died at the foot of that tree. Too many have died seeking to be wise in their own eyes for an increase in knowledge, thinking that they know better. Nathan, how many friends of ours do we know who have left the gospel ministry entirely because they thought they were smarter than God, therefore they did not need God? Students in this room, whether you're in college or high school, you have access to more knowledge than ever before in all creation. 
you have access to knowledge that kings and queens of old would have begged for. Don't let that knowledge make you arrogant. Don't let that knowledge think that you don't need anyone else in your life, that you know what's best. Remember this from Proverbs chapter one, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Church family, it is my prayer that we would cease tasting the fruit of our garden, but instead we would taste, see that the Lord is good. So this begs the question, we're in a world, we're, we're in this false garden 24 seven. There's temptations all around us. That false garden lives in our pocket at all times. You could do a Google search and you could find everything you don't have. You can find every desire that you could possibly want. You could have your desire at your doorstep because of Amazon Prime. <laughs> so how do we overcome this sin, this sin that is around us always, that is crouching at the door waiting to devour us? How do we overcome our sin? On our own, we can't. Look at verse seven. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You see, Adam and Eve tried to cover their sinful action. They realized they were naked. And even after acquiring knowledge, they did not have the knowledge or the know-how to cover themselves. They couldn't hide from their own sin. What's the problem of trying to cover yourselves with fig leaves? When you cut leaves from a branch, they quickly wither and die. And just like Adam and Eve, we too try to cover our nakedness. We try to cover our sin in our futile efforts. We try good works to make up for our sins, only for those good works to wither away like leaves at our next sinful action. We sometimes try to use ignorance as a covering, saying, oh, I just didn't know God's law or his command, or I didn't even know God was there, except all of creation around us gives testament that there is God. And we can look at each other and at all of mankind and see that humanity is sinful and there will be a price to pay. Just as Adam and Eve's attempts to cover themselves are futile, our own attempts to cover our sin and save ourselves are futile. We can't do it but God, but God. To the sinner today, to the doubter, to the denier, to the discontent, to you who would make yourself God, do you want to know how you overcome your sin? Repent and believe. Repent and believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Who is this Jesus? Jesus is the son of God. Or in the words of one of my favorite songs, Jesus is mighty God in mortal flesh. He was forsaken by a traitor's kiss. The curse of sin in centuries did pierce that lowly prince of peace. And oh, lifted high the sinless man, he was crucified, the spotless lamb. Buried by the sons of man, he was rescued by the Father's hand. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Though we were still helpless, God died for the ungodly. Oh, sinner in this room today, you could never cover sin on your own. You cannot save yourself. But Jesus overcame sin and death for you. He offers you everlasting life with him in heaven. 
you need only repent, which means to turn away from your sin and to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To repent and believe is to have faith and say before all men, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Oh, Christian, has your race been hindered by the sin that so easily ensnares us all? Do you know how you overcome? If you know these words, I, I encourage you to sing them with me. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied To look on him and pardon me To look on him and pardon me Christian, do you know how you overcome your sin whenever the devil tempts you, whenever you tempt yourself? Remember the cross. Oh, believer, it is a lot harder to sin when you remember the price he paid on account of your sin. We can never overcome sin on our own, but praise be to God, to this I hold. My sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing, I am free, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Corey, I'm gonna invite you to come back up here as I give you all this invitation. To you, O oh sinner, today, Aren't you tired of trying to be something that you were not created to be? Aren't you tired of trying to be God, to be wise in your own eyes? It's the spirit of God convicting you of your sin. I promise you the only way you may be saved is through faith in Christ alone. There is no other way. Here in a moment, we'll invite you up to pray with us. We're gonna sing a hymn of response. And I invite you during that time to come, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. And to you, my fellow stumbling saints, my church family, likewise, I invite you to come, repent of your sins, but remember the cross of Christ. Remember the assurance you have by the Holy Spirit that sealed you. There's now nothing that can take you out of the Father's hand. There's no amount of sin you could commit that could take you out of his hands. May we walk in newness of life. May we not be wise in our own eyes. May we remember the cross and turn our eyes upon him, the author and perfecter of our faith. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.